Oh, if you got the ice for the boiler maker, that'll be good. Hey, guys. Perfect timing. Perfect Hello. timing. That's yeah, what Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit is all about. Timing, not. Anyway, welcome all. My name's Crafty or Craig from Craftworks Distillery. Oh, that's not ice. I oh. don't know what that is. Oh, that looks like it's got real ice burn. Freezer burn. I don't know what it is. Destroy it. Anyway, no, we are live. <laughs> Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit. This is episode number 56. 56. And we've got Tim and Rob from Warbs Harbour in <coughs> Tasmania. So we've crossed over, over the water to the other side, to this little wee island that, yeah, they think they're doing okay on the whiskey front. So, uh, yeah, we thought we'd, we'd hear from Tim and Rob. So, hey, guys, how are you? G'day. G'day, Crafty. G'day, Luke, Todd. Hey, awesome guys. to be here. Yep. Excellent. Thanks, awesome. Man. We'll see if you think that way at the end of this, but anyway. <laughs> and as Tim said, the Todd is here, and so is Luke, my friend. And it's a Thursday night, and we're rearing to go. And we're sitting here with I'm sitting here with a boiler maker. So I'm sitting here with a put it in the front of the camera, coastal stone, making a nice little boiler maker, something a bit refreshing for the yum, night. Yum. And I'm still on yours. Yeah, Craftworks uh, Boilermaker, exactly. All right, Tim and Rob, what are you drinking? I've got a, I've got a little Scottish number actually tonight. It's a distillery not super well known um, these days because they've only oh, semi new on the scene. Rasse Distillery, which is sitting off a coast um, near the Isle of Skye. Really yeah, it's a really cool bottle. Oh, really? Mm. customized bottle and um nice. yeah a nice new coastal distillery out of scotland mm. who have been mm. around i don't know how many i, I want to say only say five or seven years so you know something similar to what we've been around and uh, these guys are keeping goals they're you know small in the scheme of distilleries um yeah really yeah, for scotland but yeah really I, I really like what i'm seeing um been following them online and yeah, so it's good Where, to uh, have that class. Whereabouts are they? I'm trying. I know the name, but I don't know anything about them. They're on the west coast. Yeah, so up next to um, Sky, it's a short yeah, ferry ride. Right. Right. Tell you about yeah, and the um, it's an island itself. I think it's yeah, the island of Rasa. Yeah, right. Cool. All right. Well, we'll see what you think of that. And Todd, what are you drinking, mate? Okay, since tomorrow is uh, World Gin Day, oh, I'm. Sitting on the gin, and I'm going to go with Ballerine, the old Dodger. Oh, very nice. Yes, we were in Ballerine in January, weren't we? No. We no. were. That's where I got it from. And I'm mixing it with um, this tonic from Long Race. Nice. You can yeah. find this place. It's well worth a try. Oh, yeah. We were just saying off air earlier that the dark soda with any whiskey is good. It is great. If you, if you want to mix your, your whiskeys with, with something, try the long way dark soda. Yeah. And, and they're not even a sponsor. And No, we and have to talk to them about that. We, do, we should do that. Yeah, yeah, I think we should. Yeah, long rays, if you're listening. <laughs> and we, we had a, we, Todd and I had a fantastic experience in the weekend. We were at uh, Mudgy Q, which is a big barbecue festival. And we were pouring the, the Craftworks whiskeys with the Long Ray's uh, dark soda, and 
yeah, we turned a lot of heads with that. People were yeah. stepping away from a lot coke of people away from coke and on to dark soda. Yeah, highly recommend it. Right, that's enough. I think we definitely should get them on as a sponsor. I think so. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the main reason we're here, besides drinking whiskey and shooting the shit. Uh, so Tim and Rob, for those that don't know anything about Warps Harbour, because you guys have just broken onto the scene and it's like a lot of people know you, but a lot of people don't know you. So tell us where it all started uh, and where you're at right now. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of people don't know us. We've been around for five years doing what we're doing, but I guess um, <clears throat> Rob, Rob's especially, his start has been around a little longer than that. Um, well, you can you can chip in, Rob, here. Yeah, yeah I, um, I started down in uh, with Overing back in the day and um, working with Casey, um, Casey Overing, that is, underneath the, his house, basically, in the shed in the early days of the Overing band. And, uh, hmm. and then at, at a point in time, I started working with Lark as well because at, at some point there, there was a, an ownership of the two where um, Lark owned Overeem as well. So I started yep. doing a head of production at, at Lark um, and then uh, so moved out into contract distilling and working on this project. So it was a, a bit of a long road just in itself there. Like prior to that, I was doing um, a couple of science degrees. So I sort of had this like something that was going on personally for me at least that was um that was sort of leading me up until this point at which tim and i sort of came together at the right time where we mm. could actually pull something off we've been talking about it for quite a while yeah sort of like yeah yeah so um yeah i mean yeah, when we got five years ago um rob was at lark there um and he sort of you know was was keen to push the boundaries a little more and we were um we were in a position where, uh, sorry, my wife and I, Beth, who is um, one of the founders of the business, Warbs Harbour, was uh, we were in a position where we were we just loved whiskey and we loved chatting to Rob all about it, and we were keen to explore um, the idea of t um, teaming together because we knew Rob was a talented distiller, and our background was more in marketing and with a love of whiskey as well, and so we. Um, we we've got a ding going on there. Yeah, Sorry, where's the ding coming from? <laughs> uh, I think it might be um on my computer. I'm just gonna try to get rid of that. Is that orders coming in? Is it? Yeah, it must be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> orders. See, orders in the wife, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, the audience says it's 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 me that I fucked up again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, Kent. Thank Carry you. on. Carry yeah, on. So back to the story. Um, yeah, we I mean Rob was creating great Tassie whiskey, right? Like Overeem, Lark, some of our favorites, especially that classic Overeem port cask. I remember from back in the day. A lot of people have got this affinity with that. Yeah. Um, but what we didn't have well in in Tasmania um was something that well we, we didn't believe we had a really um a maturation where it was, you know, something similar to that coastal beautiful maturation that you get out of, you know, those classic coastal distilleries in Scotland. And we would, we just love the idea, given that Tasmania is surrounded by the pretty wild ocean, to put ourselves in a position where we were creating great Tasmanian whiskey, but right by the ocean. And um, so we sort of had this early vision to create 
um, yeah, a maritime, a real classic maritime. It's fairly traditional, but yeah, classic maritime Tasmanian whiskey. And so that's that's where it started. It sort of was a, a few whiskeys deep around fire one night, and we decided let's explore this. And um, and yeah, many whiskeys later, here we are, five years later, sitting literally meters from the ocean, water lapping up on the side of the building with something like 800 casks under maturation in a very, very saline environment. A thing I find really cool about where you are, your location is, uh, you can say you're you're a coastal whiskey and you might have been 10 kilometres inland or something. You guys are fucking on the water. Yeah. You are seriously right on the water. I love that part where, like, there's that marketing crossover where there's a lot of marketing bullshit. And you yeah. kind of, you know, you've got a, some brands you have to sort of tease it apart. But like this, you just, it's not a lie. It's it's real. It's like something you can back because it's literally there. And if it's not maritime in, in the product, then what else is it? Because it's right next to the ocean. So it's it's pretty cool, I think, that that proximity. It's pretty yeah. next level. So how, how, did you, how did you come across that location? Um, I'm yes, literally trying to, to strip your homepage video and, and put it up for everyone to watch uh, while we're chatting. And a question uh, I've got to ask, uh, how did the negotiations go with the Penguins? They must have been pissed because that's prime real estate. Like we, it's pretty you can't hear them, but we can hear Penguins outside right now. And Oh, really? They're burrowing kind of under the building. They have for decades. And um, it's one of the cool things about yeah, this time of year, they're just they're everywhere out there, um, which is cool. But that's just part of life living, you know, on the rocks here in Vishno, um, Tasmania. But negotiating the building, yes. So uh, when we started out, we we had this vision. We need we knew that we wanted something really um, close to the ocean, and it had to be that wild sort of ocean. And um, here in Vishno, which is about kind of in the middle of Tassie on the east coast, about two hours north of Hobart, two hours south of Launceston, but right out on the east. Um, we had a bit of a, a love for Bishno and, and visited here many, many times. We, we actually had a place here. We used to come, I mean, sort of a shack. And so, um, we, yeah, we, we, we came across, stumbled across this old oyster hatchery and it was shut down Um it had been going for about 50 years, but they'd recently had issues um, as a company and had shut down their um, their facility here. And so we were lucky enough just to go and pretty much knock on the door through an email and say, what's happening with that oyster hatchery? One thing led to another and all of a sudden we, were, we got hold of this building and we were able to purchase it off them. Um, so day one, we walked in here. It was a fully set up oyster hatchery with tanks and plumbing everywhere. It was crazy. And so it was pretty cool to um, spend basically the first month <laughs> stripping out a lot of this gear. Um, and, yeah, and that's, that's where it started five years ago. About th- two years ago, though, um, finally we sort of were able to pick up buildings next door to us, which was a, an abalone farm. So we have an oyster hatchery and an abalone farm sort of next door. It's very much an old aquaculture area. And the abalone farm, uh, farm came around um, – uh, yeah, eventually when the owners who were running it as actually a fish and chip shop for a while, there were um, uh, 
uh, in part of it were, were uh, retiring and they moved on. And so we're able to get hold of it, and which has been great because we've kind of doubled our production size of Matt, like our, our bond store size. And we've also added a tasting room to the, um, to the, to the whole place. So yeah, oh yeah just getting up. There's the a, just flashing up on the screen now, just a, a screenshot from the, uh, the website uh, from the homepage. So definitely it's a beautiful website. Um, awesome video that just showcases the the location it is really really cool just gets the juices going so yeah. I, I imagine you've got planned the war harbor uh, festival whiskey festival down the track is that in planning now that'd be nice wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah that'll be an international puller that's for sure yeah so okay so you started distilling so what was your approach were you were you brewing elsewhere and, and uh, using uh, other people's equipment and distilling elsewhere, or, or ha has it been on your site the whole time? Or uh, what's yeah. the well, you said eight hundred casks, did you? Yeah, that's what yeah. we've got down at the moment. For the first year, we were uh, mostly um, renovating the building to make it suitable um, to comply with a lot of regulation, that sort of thing, and then installation of all the equipment. So for the first sort of most of the first year, um, we were doing that. And so then we started distilling. Um, and so we've been distilling for around four years out of five. Right. And so yeah. we've, we've just released product. But in that, in the last 12 months, we've actually released um, what we called a preview series, which was actually the um, spirit that Rob produced um, on stills when he was yep. working elsewhere in Tassie. So we produced the spirit elsewhere while we we're installing our stills, but matured right. it in barrel here, and that's why we kind of had the preview series, a bit of a taste of what's to come, and we we're transparent about how that worked. And then recently, um, so that was sort of the the last twelve months. Just recently, about a month or two ago, we released the first official Warbs Harbour um, whiskey that was fully made and matured at Warbs Harbour. How different was that compared to your the earlier product yeah so we've got like um so they like i've got some of the like our bond three just in front of us actually just happens to be here because we're going to do a tasting tomorrow night but um like the bond three is they're, they're different sort of profiles so that one there's like an, a pair of bourbon casks and this sort of like a pair of finished in bourbon casks but um our, our new core lines are more Predominantly like uh, bourbon with tawny base, sort of in the background, and then right. and it kind of steps up in intensity through the core line with um with our tawnies and just like the highest level in our founders reserve is reserve stock from the best barrels basically. So it's it's sort of yeah it's sort of pivoted away from more um, a pair based whiskey into more tawny based, and that's that's there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, one is uh, we did have some actually uh, one, an, another product called a, a double tawny um, in the in the bond three, um, and so we had we had this stock to play with. But then when we were designing our whiskies for the for the um, for the for Warps Harbour, it's sort of like um, we definitely wanted to sort of try and push and showcase what maritime is and that Tasmanian malt. So like. The, the key one really with our Warbs original is all about showcasing that, um, yeah, 
maritime malt and it's the one that displays the best sort of like saline salted caramel characteristics something you can really taste the provenance of the area um, and then when you're stepping up in the tawny in in the the um, port storm and the founders reserve it's sort of like just pushing up that tasmanian profile that big tawny richness so it's sort of like you get the 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 coastal effect and influence on the product but then you're introducing extra flavor yeah so it's sort of like a fine different one one thing i i recall many many years ago um at a master class with jim McEwen from brook laddie and he was talking about coastal and what actually happens you know with with just the the amount of salt yeah yeah good plug (laughs) Salt. (laughs) salt um but how salt cut through whiskey uh, yeah. The salt air cut through whiskey, and it created a real citrus note. Yeah. Um, have you encountered that? And if you yeah. have, can you explain it to me? Because I can't get my head around how that it's, would work. I think um, sort of like the salt and what's going on scientifically up here is difficult to explain because there's a lot of things to sort of um, unpack. I suppose there's a lot of variants. So, like you know, we do different things with our yeast strains and um, so all things must sort of like what would be defined as maritime but definitely it was yep. just like salt air and the proximity to the ocean humidity and temperature in particular like the way in which that um like the ocean does a lot of the buffering of the temps it doesn't get too hot doesn't get too cold um you don't get a frost here you don't get 40 degree days so like what's going on there on the product there's a few other parts to just the maritime not just the salt but i do notice just salt on its own the ability to sort of cut through sweetness is what i see and it sort of uh, it sort of adds an extra layer or um an ability to sort of um because you can pack a whiskey full of sweetness from like a bourbon cask or something like that but it just cuts through the, the sweetness to add complexity and sort of makes that spirit richer and it's, it's it, it really does work so it's this yes does penguin add anything to oh yeah the resonance (laughs) is the um the aromatics the aromatics yeah a glass of water you can hear sometimes yeah 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 i think now we're really shooting the shit i think i think you should have a chat with peter bignell and see what he can do with that yeah bring Pete up and let him smoke some penguin shit yeah, <laughs> it'd be very yeah. fishy, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Rob, you've you've come from a from a real technical background, a scientific background. Yeah. Uh, and and Tim, it's clear you you got a deep understanding as well. So, um, you put a lot of credence on on uh, brewing. And the amount of, as I like to describe it, the flavor levers you can play with, uh, mm. with brewing, and as opposed to just making a very simple wash and throwing it in the still, you put a lot of. You mentioned you play around with yeasts and that. So give us a rundown from a brewing perspective, specifically what what excites you. Yeah, for sure. So like you know, starting out with just like your base products, water and 
um, and barley itself. Like if you're not controlling those particular things, like you've got a lot of control just in the choices you make early on. Like, you know, we, we use water from the site from here because we're trying to do a provenance-based product. Um, so I don't actually do brewing salt additions or anything like that. That is something you could do and you can get a completely different product by doing that, using that. Some yep. people don't really go too much into that side of things like water chemistry and that's fine too. Like you don't need to for, for the majority of what you're making because de- depends on what you're doing. But, um, you know, it definitely is influential. Then like your barley choice, like we do um, Tassie malt um, exclusively. I like to source off a, a singular farm when it happens to be a good season. Last season wasn't as good for him, but we've got a good supply this year. Um, otherwise, it's from other Tasmanian um, farmers. And then, like, you just, yeah, how you decide to use that. So just recipe builds. Like, it might be um, the strength of the wash or, like, or the... Um, or like the sugar concentration, basically, of like your particular temperatures. What are you What are you trying to get active at what point? Um, you know, to the sort of like the equipment decisions. So like, or like choosing equipment. So like, I have conical fermenters, for instance, and you sort of can see a, a lot of people use a lot of different things, but um, brewing techniques are are important. They kind of get you to the point where you're just about to get to distillation i think that's very important um in the early parts of brewing to get it right and to or at least have a planned um output like most people are just doing extraction and chuck yeast in don't worry about it don't worry about ferment temps but like you read one brewing book and it tells you all about what happens with brewing like flavor with temperatures so like the brewers are on to this sort of stuff and it definitely affects things down the line in whiskey so you know for us it's pretty important to make sure we're doing it on site um you get the control uh you can can pull those levers and you can make it where you want it to go and that means you can do things um in i mean there's a whole heap of distillation technique that can change things as well but you can start crafting new makes to fit barrels as opposed to sort of creating um just the same new makers and and sort of just slapping it in all, all barrels and looking for variants to yeah. sort of across the line. So you, you've got a bit of freedom. Like an example of like where our cultivated yeast, for instance, like um, versus like a, a classic distiller's yeast is like, um, so like you might have a distiller's yeast, you might get like apples and sort of cream Versus out of like the other profile of like the, the cultivated yeast, I can get like oranges and chocolate. So I've got this whole other raft of just tools I can make completely different products just using brewing yeah. So I love, it. And, I love it, mate. I love it. You, and, that, you go. and that yeast, so your your cultivated yeast, is that a yeast that you yourself have cultivated? Or you yes. Um, so yeah, so I um, I basically grow everything. I so my background is in in, in microbiology, really, and um, um, so that's how I sort of got into this side of it. It was something that I could take to the next level. It's something I understood. I, it was a, a lot of um, just you know sort of basic ecology sort of stuff, and, and what happens when you pitch two yeast strains into the same fermenter and how they interact, or you know various things happen and. There's so many um, variations and things you can sort of 
aim for like and and you a lot of things you don't expect like if you mix a couple of different things together so there's so much you can experiment with i think yeah. for what we've done is a little bit more like um uh you've got to you've got to cut through all the um the the, the endless sort of repetition and try and get to somewhere quickly and so i, I basically went through and took from like in small scale trials a bunch of different yeast um, trials and, um, and sort of took them through to distillates and then just based on flavour and sensory and gut feel on what I think is good and what's going to make a good whiskey, using the knowledge of what previous whiskies I've um, come across in, in my career just to try and push that boundary and just sort of see where I can go with it. So it's definitely a um, an area that really doesn't get much attention. It means a fair bit, mm. but... Circling back to the penguins. Oh, I want to go right. to the brewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you tried culturing a yeast from the penguins? I've tried culturing. I've tried culturing yeast from um, the site. You got to you got to be careful with what you're culturing. So, like, you can if you're using, <laughs> exactly. like a, you know, yeah. But you can you can definitely get things to be right. coli, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't usually come out that great. Like you, you're looking for flavour and yield, and one's going to suffer if you use a yeah penguin poo to do it. So yeah, <laughs> so that's enough. Right. For the, love that's, the penguin. Okay, all right. So what, one of the how do you go about cultivating your yeast? So so I oh, will so. Like the the first part is like finding a sample or a swab. You like you might go and swab like I've swabbed just about everything around here, and you're trying to grow things on um, like malt extract, so something that's going to grow on um, the like basically like um, the, the the product that is that malt is like the sugars from the malt. Um, if if you can get a yeast to grow on it, and and you can. You, you can basically, that's the substrate they require, you can then take it further. So if it doesn't grow on it, it's not going to be what you want for a start because you're giving them the food source they want. Um, and then you can get, um, yeah, different yeast from basically inside the distillery. You're sort of probably just capturing yeast that's in, that's in that you've been using already. So it's a bit of a false thing. You think you're getting something new, but you're not. But then there's like a bunch of mutations that sort of stuff it up as well. But the um, we've used the, one of the key ones I think that's important as well is that so the majority of distilleries use um, like a commercially dehydrated yeast, um, and that's like your first roadblock. If you can't get a good yeast strain that's um, not dehydratable, then you can't ship it around the world. You can buy liquid yeast, but usually in small form, and um, that's where I've been doing a fair bit of work as well in the liquid yeast strain stuff so you use um so i think it's um um why labs or why yeast or something like that i forget now but there's a couple of different groups that make a lot of liquid cultures and experimenting with those in particular has been um pretty fruitful so it allows them to be able to you know import um different liquid yeasts from around the world which you wouldn't be able to get commercially available in a dry source and then cultivate it from a small sample. So say it comes in only 100 mils worth. Yeah. We need 300 litres of it to pitch a ferment fermentation. So we, we grow it from that 100 mil size up to 300 litres, um, which takes a little while. Like that's a yeah. process, yeah. cultivating it, and you have to go through these various stages. 
So that's one of the massive benefits. You can get yeast that you wouldn't be able to get normally by growing yourself. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the other form, like, yeah, Rob has swabbed seaweed, for instance, which is not quite yeah. thing, Luke, but, um, but you know, that's you know, one of the romantic-sounding yeasts, but it's um, probably not going to work necessarily. Um, other things might, you know, and um, done a lot of experimentation. And so it's, it's been fun to watch um, the experiments come to life. So he has a lab here and gets in there, um, create, does these small run distillations using these interesting yeasts that he's been making. And then before we go and commit to, you know, using it on our big system, because, you know, our, our wash drill is 3,600 litres. So it's oh, a big commitment, big commitment to go and, you know, um, take it to the big show. So he uses tiny little stills to start with, just to give you a bit of an idea of how it's going to come out in the new make. And, um, it's been really interesting, you know, and when when some of the industry um, some of the industry buffs come up and have a little taste in you know around Tassie, come up and have a little taste of these new makes. And Rob's got like a whole shelf full of different experiments that he's done. It's really like one of those afternoons in the story, which is fun because you know you can really see how much difference a yeast strain yeah, makes on a new make yeah. when all the other variables consistent. What would be the most um, the most surprising thing that you've swabbed? And had work. Lay off the penguins. Lay off the I fucking penguins. Penguin. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have the yeah. armpit of a penguin. No. What, <laughs> what would be the most surprising thing that you've you've been able to cultivate? The mama penguin would have watched, the baby penguin would have it would have been a very distraught situation for the family penguins. Carry on. <laughs> Someone has suggested in the chat mermaids, which mermaids. Yeah. We, have, we haven't seen one yet, but yeah, we're looking at mermaid <laughs> yeast. Yeah, yeah. I got to ask two questions. We'll come back to yours. One's a, one's a statement. Uh, yeah, two are statements. Um, so one. They're not really a question then. No, not really a question at all. Uh, it's really exciting to have conversations like this, right? Because, as you well know. First and foremost, we're distillers, right? And so by definition, we we distill. And all the emphasis is on discussions around the still and the cuts and what we do in that. But the dirty secret is there's so much that happens in brewing and there's so many people that appreciate that. And when you have a a discussion with a distiller who brews, it's such an energetic conversation um, because... This, as I said, there's so many levers we can play with, which is yeah. exciting. The second thing is, and you'll love this, guys. So, one of Craftworks' um, original mash bills started off a stout beer, and the stout beer was from Zigzag Brewery. So, I took the recipe, I broke it back, I took the oats out, and then I changed it so it was 100% barley, and away I went and created the IM profile based in roasted malts. And over the years, it's evolved. Anyway, finally, and I've wanted to do it for years, we've turned it back into beer. And we're actually releasing it as a beer called I Am Beer. But the interesting thing is I use M1 yeast, which is distiller's yeast, and Saison yeast, T58. And for the brew, we've switched it back to the original ale yeast, but also kept the T58, the Saison yeast. So what we've made is a stout, a very light stout, 
that's actually got uh, it's like a Belgium style. It's got all these Belgium characteristics, the clothes and the banana mm. and everything else. Yeah. It is so fucking cool because it's the mash bill taken back. It was the beer that became a mash bill that became a beer again. And we've got a number of different mash bills that we'll explore as, as we go forward. But it just reinforces to me the power of yeast and, right. the, and, and the power of brewing and, and what you can do with it. So um, oh. I sort of share that with you because it's... That sounds awesome. Awful. And that's, that's why they call you crafty. No, no. <laughs> no, no, it's why I say it's my fucking distillery. I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Even though my wife doesn't 100% agree on that. But anyway, <laughs> I, I pitched, he, he still does it anyway. I pitched the project to, to my wife and she goes, oh, I don't know. It's going to cost a lot. So I said, all right, I'll do it with Todd. And she said, you always say that. If I say we can't do it, you go and talk to Todd. And Todd goes, okay, I'll be part of it. Anyway, Todd missed yeah. out, didn't you, Todd? I missed out again, and I really <laughs> wanted, of all the projects we've done, this is the one I actually wanted to be part of. But <laughs> uh, I'll just help you sell the plonk later. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeast, yeasty business is fun. Yeasty business is fun, but uh, ferment time it means us into we. we it's, a, it's a good segue to highlight one of our. Um, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have to introduce you to um, Josh from Mogwai Culture. So oh, Mogwai yeah. is set up and basically doing coming in. He'll do yeast traps. Uh, yeah. He'll sample your lo your location, your terroir, yeah. and then we'll we'll make in the lab a, a yeast specifically for your your business. Now he's yeah. he's only working with brewers, and I've been talking to him saying there's huge opportunities in the distilling space on this. So Josh is uh, a sponsor now on Mogwai, Mogwai Labs, and we're going to interview or we'll shoot the ship with uh, Josh in um, a couple of weeks, I, I think. So um, uh, Todd would know. Yeah, yeah, Todd's got the itinerary. So yeah, yeah tune I in on that one, guys. Yeah, because you haven't given me his details, you buffhead. Oh shit! Okay, I need to sort that out. Okay, so, but sometime in the near future, we will have Josh on board. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can give you his details. I have. Oh, them. please do. <laughs> but that's the sort of interesting thing that's coming into into distilling space and craft distillers. You know, people say, "What's the Australian style of whiskey?" And are you going to have a similar sort of thing as as Scotland would? You know, Speyside region, Lowlands, Island. It's not going to happen. It's everyone's doing their own thing, aren't they? Yeah, it's way more mixed in um, in, in Australia, isn't it? Um, every, there's a lot of experimentation, um, and it's would be hard to you know. You've got there's definitely um, similarities out there, but there's there's not as many um, you know obvious kind of regionality sort of traits, is there? As you might get in in Scotland, because everyone's experimenting in different ways, which is part of the more whiskey factor and the innovation. That's one of the cool things about being in a region like this. Agree. Yeah. I would suggest Tassie's got more similarity in style because how it how it started, how how people learnt how to make whiskey and and basically wanted to use Nat Lewis stills, for example. There's a lot of Nat Lewis stills in that, and stick with the same sort of mash bill. I think the mainlanders are more uh, expansive in styles. 
um, and probably stills. There's, you know, it's um, because it's not as old as as Tasmania, which is mm. what we're only thirty years old. The modern day distilling industry, so mm. it's not it's not that old. Yeah. So, question. Um, so, there's a, to me, there's some similarities between what you guys are doing and what Ferno is doing. Um, and you both sort of come on the scene fairly similar. Do you, do you guys talk, swap notes, and and that? yeah, they're cool. Um, they're awesome. We um, love what they're doing up there, um, which is not that far away from us. Yeah, um, <clears throat> on there, um, they were a very similar time actually that they started out, and we didn't really know about each other as like we were in very much stealth mode for several years we didn't go down the path of doing gin or anything else we were just yeah. we were just whiskey purists and so we didn't really we didn't even have a sign on the building for about three four years so yeah. no one really knew about us we didn't put social media up until we needed it you know years later yeah um, which is partially why you know a bunch Completely of people yeah, so no, Berno are doing some great things up there and um, looking forward to seeing those guys at the, the whiskey shows more and more over time, for sure. Mm -hmm. They're in an interesting spot too. So you're right on the, uh, the eastern side of Tassie there. Do we yes. have a map? Of yeah, I'm there, I'm, I'm Flinders map. Up on the northeastern side, so they're uh, yeah. in a similar climate um, of Tasmania because Tasmania you could sort of you, you've definitely got differences between east and west coast in Tasmania um, between climate styles, but in general it's all pretty well cold <laughs> and it's fairly wild when you're right on the ocean. Um, so with especially you definitely get different regions um, within it. Like where we are, we are very exposed to a pretty wild ocean. Like we can't show you, but we're looking out the window at, at darkness now, but only a couple of hours ago, it was quite wild. Like this, it's a pretty rough day today. And um, the floor in the bond stores today is saturated. Hmm. And it's saturated because it's just this, in my car when I got into it today, my hands were slipping on the steering wheel, not just because it's an old car. But it's 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 um it's this this sail like very salty kind of air and today was a really like uh, great example of that because it was it was very um, when you get the when you get the, some of these fronts coming through it's just like a blanket of salt water that hits everything which is the bane of our lives here too by the way rust like, some of our just being destroyed. Like yeah. we install something and six months later we're painting it. We've painted the base of the silo four times already, which is galvanized steel because it wow. just doesn't run here. And uh, so the yeah, the bond store today, no, no shit. Like it was the the floor was saturated. It looks like someone's been mopping it or something. And it's just because um, the years and years have you know this this building's been around for decades um especially the ab farms 70 years and salt has just penetrated that place so as soon as you get humidity in the air it grabs hold of that salt and yep. everything's wet and it's just a great example of how saline it is right here and on a very exposed shelf on the coast um mm. and 
you know, you see it on the barrels too. The barrel rings are super rusty. And I was going to um, say, that'd be an issue for you, but, wouldn't but, it? You'd have to wash yeah. your hoops big time. So yeah. regardless of the hoops, do you sort of have a bit of a crustacean of salt all over your barrels? Or? Yeah, lightly, like on the timber itself. And, you know, barrels barrels lose a lot of, as we know, to angel share. They're a breathing, living vessel under pressure. And so you get these temperature changes and the humidity up and down. And so you'll see... Um, these barrels breathing in this kind of saline environment. And, and we're not like trying to, um, we don't have, to, one of the great things about this kind of um, industry is that we're not, we don't have to really educate people on great maritime whiskies because the Scottish have been doing it for us for about 200 years. Yeah. We're just doing it in a different provenance and that's Tasmanian. Um, mm. So it's going to be, it's really interesting to see. We're getting some great industry feedback from, um, from people that are that are trying our whiskies now and um, and picking up those subtle different notes that add um, add something to the whiskey, and you know it's not it's not like you know adding um, salt to your whiskey because who knows what that tastes like. But it's about how that enhances different flavors. You know the toffees turn salted caramel, or the way that a sweetness might you know might be able to dull it down with a bit of savoriness from that salt. Um, yeah, I, I would think you you potentially, and I'm just spitballing, but you you would you could pick up quite a an umami type note too if you're using really heavy fortified casks. Are, are you getting that sort of profile starting to come through? Yes, people have been saying exactly that as well. Um, it's a it's an interesting thing just to describe into a whiskey. It's definitely been in like the the food scene for a long time and I haven't heard it much in my time in whiskey as a descriptor, but it's coming yeah. in there and I've heard it a few places. Yeah. It's, it's um, an level, a level just to, just to find in have another you, whiskey. Have you thought of putting uh, a barrel on a boat in the harbour there? With a penguin. Go on, say it. Leave the penguin. Say it. You want Leave to say? You want to say with a penguin? Come on. I knew that was going to be why, why not just sink a barrel in the in the harbour with a penguin? <laughs> well, I, the penguin can swim around it if they want, but yeah, we, we kind of don't need to because um, as much as you might try, everything is saturated I'm, in this. I'm thinking more the motion of the ocean. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been. Oh, I know that's. The seen that before, right? Um, I'm, yeah, there's been several distilleries yeah, in time that sent a barrel around the world or something on a yacht, and another one that stayed here or something. And I don't know who that was, and I I wasn't in the ballot to to get a bottle of either of them. Keith um, Bat put a barrel on his yacht, but it was empty. I'm just saying, beat <laughs> the whole fucking cup. Doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, let's not go there and let him finish his conversation. Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sorry, I mean, you've got, I you've got low, a random amount of time, so I, I can... I mentioned low pressure systems. So <laughs> that is something with our distillery. We get a lot of storms that come through. They blow off the plains. And those low pressure systems, we believe, has a massive impact on the maturation of the whiskey. We, we see our barrels hiss and groan and... You see, you see bungs go. Yeah. You see that? You would get a lot of low yeah. pressure systems come through. You sort of get the, the sort of the highest whip across the Bass Strait and sort of go down a little bit into the Tasman Sea across to New Zealand. Right. And as it happens, you sort of see the offshore storms and we get those easterlies and that's what's happening today, which is why it's so, like, um, so humid. But that 
quick change in atmospheric pressure or rise, like rise or fall, like you definitely get the suck or the pop. It's definitely affecting barrels. Yeah, it's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. You walk in and half the barrels are leaking some days and then next day it's... <laughs> yeah, they suck up tight now. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is there too much pressure for a barrel either way? What? Where do you reckon... Yeah, uh, if a barrel, like, it'll find its weakest point. And, yeah. How many have you lost? Uh, we haven't lost any to pressure, um, unless it's a contributing factor. But structurally, it's all about yeah, how it has that outperforming and um, mm. like, like or if there's a, a you know it's a, a natural product, so it's just gonna if it cracks, it cracks. So um, you know you can't. I don't know if you can test that through pressure, but the if it's if it's high pressure inside the barrel trying to escape it, pop that bung. It doesn't actually, yeah. That's a great question. I'm about from Johnny Holton there. G'day yeah. to Johnny. Put up a question on screen here. Do you think pressure has more of an impact than temperature? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a it is a huge impact because of the um, because of the way it pulls in and out of the um, the actual the oak itself, like it's driving it through in and out. Temperature sort of helps, but temperature is this thing that it um. So, like, chemical reactions occur faster at high temperatures. So there's a, also a correlation between, like, whiskey maturation and temperature. But, you know, for us, like, we've got that stabler environment. We don't have that high or that low. Like, so we're sort of sitting in the middle and letting that that pressure do its thing. So I think I think I don't necessarily know if they're, um, one outweighs the other, but they're both definitely important. There you go, Joe. Political pressure is one that's not talked about much, is it? Oh, yeah, it, been, it is a yeah. real thing. Yeah, I think um, I've been talking a lot about pressure since early overeem days. That was a big part of it, I think, what they were um, doing down there um, with with a lot of their maturation. Yeah, yeah, something we, we learned as we went along. Bill can only um, make a comment on that with the Dead oh, Sea. Yeah, 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 Todd, talk about it. So the Dead Sea whiskey's been aged at um, what is it, four hundred meters low sea level. So they have a different pressure rating oh, than yeah. the rest of us, and they they couldn't leave meters it there. below sea level. Yeah, and they couldn't leave it there for the entire maturation because it was too much, too difficult mm. on their whiskey. Yeah, I don't, I, on the on the point of um, pressure, it's for us. I don't think it's like necessarily where it sits if it's high or low. It's at the change. It's about like yeah, how it's it's and forwards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing that gets it moving. Yeah, Youngie put a comment up from Wayne Oak. Pull that back up. Uh, yeah, he's right. Andrew Young, so Master Cooper from Wayne Oak in the Brossa. and a sponsor, and a sponsor. and a sponsor, and a sponsor. Um, We've been talking about it for many years, um, yeah. and it, it is something and which we And you still won't learn. No, well, I've learned it. I know. I understand it now. Asshole. There's a difference between learning and knowing and putting in practice. Can you throw the fuck under the bus? Throw him under the bus. Come on, throw him under the bus now. Oh, no, there's another question. Oh. 60 hertz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Angel share. Really good. So you would be going down, wouldn't you? Or oh, um, like in ABV? No. Yeah. You're going, going up. up. Mm, which is uh, interesting as well. Um, that's yeah. you've got be, high um, humidity. Yeah, um, and and that's provided by the ocean. You know, the hot day it evaporates the water. It's like I think that the humidity here is quite high. 
um, it doesn't get that, uh, you know, like the hotter it gets, you'd expect the, the um, less humidity there would be, but there's also like that evaporative sort of thing off the sea that brings the, the humidity back. You get that afternoon sea breeze every hot day that sort of pushes through the distilleries. So, so yeah, we're getting, I can, yeah, I can say that with certainty. It is all increasing in ABV. Wow. That doesn't mean that we're um, getting the same lows out, though, like we're still getting dropping of volume just the same as everywhere else, but yeah. let, uh, the ABV going up. And what is your share, Angel share? Uh, it's, I think it's getting close to 20 15%, something like that, over wow. the course of So I think um, the, uh, the, the first year you, you lose a fair bit just in the, um, like, it's sucking into the oak. And then yeah, so call it call it five to eight percent, and then three percent every year after that, something along those lines. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And uh, Williams posted a question there. So salt water, uh, salt drawing the water out of the barrels, or is oh, that's, that's, the, that's a good around? question. Yeah, I haven't thought of that before. That's a no. good point. The salt definitely sense. does do that. That's like literally what is happening um, on the on the floor of the bond store. And it, there's other examples around the boiler and such where that is happening, where the salt is picking up the, the moisture from um, the, the atmosphere. And, you know, if that is salt is sitting on the barrel, there is actually there's something to that. Yeah. That's mm. – that, that's um, – Makes sense. I, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, um, I'm going to ask that question uh, of Mark Rainier of Waterford. Yeah, uh, who's next, Brook Laddie, right? And we, and we know, yeah, that's a that's a that's a coastal one. So I'm going to ask that question because um, mm. it'll be intriguing. I've never. Seventeenth of August, you can ask that question. Oh, actually, yeah, we got Mark Rainier from Waterford on, and yeah, let's do a quick plug. Um, it's going to be very much one focused on terroir um, and barley, and we're going to have Stu Wycross from Voyager Craft Malt on. So it's going to be a deep, deep dive. And we've had a taste of Mark Rainier um, to give you some, some idea. I haven't, I haven't posted him yet. You haven't? I, I haven't put that video up yet. Oh, you got to put um, it up. I've got, to, I've got to find time to fix my fuck up with the starting of the, the start of the recording. Yeah. Because I, I forgot to hit go live. And Oops, started. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, they, we did, they didn't miss much. We, we, we but... did, we did a thing. Um, so I approached, we did, a thing. we did a thing. We did a thing. We did a thing. We did a thing. Aussie Crafter still is shooting the shit. I approached Waterford and I'd known Waterford through Aussie Crafter still is shooting the shit. Um, listen to the episode of Ned, Ned Gahan Ned from Gahan. Waterford. Uh, it was one of our earlier episodes a few years ago. And I said to Ned, mate, Waterford's not in Australia. It makes no sense. You sell a little bit in Dan's, but there's nothing out there. And you guys would have a cult following in Australia because of Brooke Laddie and Mark Rainier and Jim McEwen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, I convinced them to send some samples out. And I said, we'll do a whiskey tasting. I'll debrand from Craftworks. Um, I got Dave Withers from Archie Rose to debrand and Nick Hope from Dusty Barrel, who does rice whiskey to debrand and we presented a night of waterford 40 in the room 40 live oh, sorry 40 on the room 40 on zoom it was really really good night but the funny thing was we were we got waterford on and the head distiller ned was only going to be on for 10 minutes he stayed for the whole session so 
I'm presenting Waterford with uh, over my shoulder as the Waterford head distiller, right? <laughs> Which was very cool. Um, but the founder, Mark Rainier, we wanted him to come on for just the wave. You know, just come on screen and go, hello, you're all doing very well. I'm Mark Rainier from yeah. Waterford. You know, you're doing very well. Thank you very much for your support and go. And we thought we'd do well to do that. And five minutes before, Waterford said, you can't do it. I mean, oh, come on. Mark's got to come on for just say wave, just wave. That's it. And they go, oh, all right. So Mark pops on the screen. The fucker wouldn't shut up. Half an hour. <laughs> We're going to wind him up. 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 And when he, when he started swearing, it, it, we went, yes, okay. Uh, he's our man. Yeah. He's, a man. he's coming to Australia. So uh, when he comes, yeah, he's coming I mean, to Australia. Um, when he comes to Australia, um, we're bringing him to Tassie and we're coming to your, your joint for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great man. That story. Go. All right. Uh, Owen says, uh, "Is there a specific whiskey that you tasted that led you to try and replicate or emulate to get your flavour?" Uh, that's a good question. You know, it's a little bit of a dual response here. Um, there's two parts to this. It's not necessarily like your classic maritime um, whiskey answer. Because early days, we were quite influenced by that beautiful, rich, fortified, um, you know, heavy character kind of whiskey that, you know, Tasmania produced. And, and, and one of the great examples of that was the Overeem whiskey. And yep. It was Robin making, you know. And so we just we love using those high-quality port casks and still do today. One of our three uh, whiskies in our core line, we've got the Warbs Original, the Port Storm, and the Founders Reserve. And the Founders Reserve is this Beautiful, pure port casket at um, cast strength, 62%, and just uses those classic, nice, old um, port barrels, a lot out of the brosser, and, um, you know, something that has industry's been using for a little while. And at the same, so at the same time, we love a rich, oily whiskey, but, at the, uh, but we're also absolutely loving the use of less cask influence and more straight bourbon because we're after more of a spirit driven whiskey and we're after yeah. those funny notes just pure nice um yeah just that nice identity brininess that you'll find less masked by the the port cask or the fortified cask and yep. more just straight down the line in a bourbon cask so which is what you'll see in our range we literally have the warbs original which is mostly american oak Bourbon cask, although it does have a tiny marriage of a little bit of tawny casking there, which just helps it give this nice little uh, raisiny sort of finish or a little bit on the nose as well. But it's mostly about that American oak and therefore more so about the spirit. But then you move through to the Port Storm, which is a bit more port driven, and then the Founders Reserve, which is pure port driven and all about a rich, deep whiskey. You'll still still see some maritime influence in there for sure, but in a different way. More about how that em emphasizes or enhances some of those beautiful raisiny sort of notes. And how did you go? So you've got first release and and, and batch two out now. So first release is is all gone, except for obviously your reserve stock. 
Um, how did you find getting consistency or did you try and get consistency between batch one and batch two? It is, it's a funny thing, but the, you know, barrels are always changing every year. So you, you, you can't get consistency in barrels in supply, but you can do things in your, in your marriages, in your blending to, to get consistency between your um, additions and, you, and looking at what exactly is it that, that creates that whiskey, um, the profile in particular, like how you're actually, what are you actually aiming for? And so some of the hallmarks of like what does the, say, Warb's original need to have to be of that, that brand um, and the additions can be subtly different, but, you know, we're still looking at that clear um, bourbon malt backbone. So there's the biscuit, there's the salted caramel, um, and then that little bit of tawny on the finish. So it's a working of um, balance, really. So you can you sort of celebrate individual, um, the individualism of each batch, yet yeah. that's the same profile. So there, it's just the nature of, that's the nature of craft. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask the question because I know there's people that want to ask this question. Uh, two questions, so not statements. Questions, Todd. Oh, good. Two questions. Yeah, so, all right, uh, just answer it then. I will. Ask I'm it. getting there. I'm building anticipation. I'm oh, building. Yeah. Um, are you going to? Excuse me. Are you going to make a peated maritime whiskey? Question one. Yeah. Good question. Um, yes, is the short answer. And we already have it in barrel. Um, we we really want to make a, a genuine Warps Harbour provenance peated whiskey, though. Um, not so much into the idea of importing peated grain. And so we, um, yeah, we've got this amazing salt marsh peat bog, which is only about ten k's away from where we are. And experimentation because you go up and down this, diff this this river that ends up you know in the ocean and so it's very salty down near the ocean and then gets obviously fresh when you get more inland and so we've done a lot of different trials with different peats up and down this river where we've been down there digging it out ourselves um yeah you know a farmer that has like ten thousand acres along this thing so um it's been wow been really interesting yeah so rob gets in the lab there smokes uh the, the malt and uh, in this sort of, um, you know, meth lab looking apparatus and, and, <laughs> and, and on a small scale. And we've got some really cool examples of a very unique peat because peat from the highlands, you know, even in Tasmania, but certainly in Scotland is made from more classic sort of mosses like, yeah, sphagnum moss. But down on the, on the inner salt marsh, you don't have moss. You have, you know, you have reeds and you have this very salty sort of succulent um, that is a ground cover, and then the local kind of melaleuca tree, tea tree stuff. So very different organic material and therefore very different smokiness and therefore different flavour. And we have that in barrel, so watch the space because um, probably in about four months mm. or so you'll see it roll out of limited release. <laughs> so is it, is it sort of ah, giving you... I had a second question. Let me get my second oh, question. All right, you got a second question. Why are you trying to take all the questions, are you? I said you took so long to the no, first one. We forgot about no, that. because I'm going to help Todd. Because oh, no, right. Todd, I seriously doubt you're helping me by benching all my questions. Listen carefully. After I after I ask my second question, 
we're going to throw Todd under the Fantastic. bus. Fantastic. I, I seriously so cannot so Todd, We're giving Todd five minutes warning. I, I doubt five it. Five minutes warning to prepare for throwing Todd under the bus. Because they won't let me ask my questions throughout the program. No, anyway. no, no, no. It's all good. So my second <laughs> question. Anyway, ask your bloody question, would you? All right. My second question. I'm not going to go into details, but let's just say there is some seismic shifts and challenges happening in the wood front uh, on the Australian landscape right now as far as sourcing of barrels. Um, and for us, as we all know, making whiskey barrels are absolutely essential if you don't have barrels you can't make whiskey so my question is two parts one what cooperages do you currently work with is it mainly just on tasmania and two how do you set your wood policy because you're using bourbon casts uh old fortifieds and others i imagine how what's what is your wood policy yeah so um, we have a, a, a couple of different cooperages. We try and spread the eggs there, really. Um, right. The thing about um, wood procurement or oak procurement, has it's not new at all. I think we've all been saying it for years and years and years. Um, it's getting rarer and it's getting rarer. And every year there seems to be some allotment that just comes from nowhere. And, it, and like, that's the optimistic view um, where there is always something that you can get that is within your within the profile you're seeking. Um, and, but it is, like you say, it is getting harder and harder and harder. So I think we base a lot of our, um, our trust in uh, relationships in particular, uh, in, in who we use and, and where we source and try and leverage the long-standing relationships. Yeah. Um, but we also trial new things as well. So, like, we've got um, new um, bourbon uh, producers online and sort of like and trying to evolve that space as well because you, you've got to be on the front foot you've got to be you've got to be working that hard that's for sure yeah. well i remember tim duckett uh saying fairly recently that old wood fortifieds are going to push two grand for a bar yeah, oh, yeah, yeah we're already paying go with 400 bucks yeah, we're already paying like up to twelve hundred for a good fortified. So it's just that's the price, um, you know. And a good question from um, David Carolyn Taylor there, um, because hey this is just cool. hey yes, um, thanks for your questions tonight. Too, we've we're uh, yes, it says would you use a, a Freycinet barrel? Um, so Freycinet wine are um, only located close by, and they they produce some amazing some amazing wine down there. And actually, coincidentally, I was down there yesterday, and we do have spirit in their barrels. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes. another watch this space answer. <laughs> and on that note, well yes, I Any saw that. I read that. Yeah, I read that two days ago. The American market is very, very interesting right now because there is a wood shortage. I'm talking to American distillers, small craft distillers, and they're saying they're in queues to get wood. And that's new American oak first char barrels, and they're struggling. And there's serious conversation in America about changing the legislation to allow uh, bourbon producers to use refills, which will just be an absolutely seismic shift uh, yeah. uh, on the on the scene, particularly Scotland. Scot Scotland, 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 Scotland's world. 
that will rock Scotland and rock the world. So yeah. anyway, side thing. And on that note, I think it's time. To and now it's time for throw the tide under, under the bus. Five minutes later, he's thought about it. He's got some good questions. Go. Okay, so firstly, tonight, I used to like 60 hertz, but the bastard pinched my question, so I don't like him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an easy thing. Fake news. So, so secondly, shut up, would you? It's my time to my time in the sunlight. I don't need any talk from the, the red-headed oh, I'm, I'm going I'm to mute us. Yeah, I'm going to mute us. No, please, please do. It's so much better when they're not talking. Anyway, so guys, the question I wanted to ask is you're talking about a you have a what is it, a three thousand liter wash still? What sort of stills do you run? Yeah, we've got uh Naplua stills with steam coil. Um three thousand six hundred and an eighteen hundred liter. So wash and spirit still combo. Cool. So both of them they are one still. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're stills that I mean, the 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 we we went for those stills mostly because Rob was very used to using those. Um, you know, it's a fairly traditional chassis kind of steel to use, and I worked out something I can do. It's really fantastic. Did you notice what I did there? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 nice. It's more intimate all of a sudden. Always <laughs> crafty. Yeah. Sorry, inter interrupted you guys. Could you please? Yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, it's it's a fairly, you know, squat steel and classic Tassie, you know, steel where we get those nice rich flavours. But it's, um, yeah, a steel by Napalua um, that Rob was used to using down at Overeem and, and at Lark as well. Right. I'll let them back in because they'll get upset otherwise. He lets back in. Oh, hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was it a good question? we got no idea. <laughs> kind of thing is it's better if they're not there um so so sort of where do you see the um your business going are you going to try some more barrels combinations or yeah good question that's a very open-ended question um where we see going yeah it's exciting times for us because we've only just like properly launched really in the last few months you know whiskey's a slow moving beast isn't it so around for five years but only just launched um we've we, we've launched um well though it's it's been awesome to have great support around us down in the tassie industry and afar from um you know some of the great distilleries up there as well like yourselves and um you, when we launched about a month ago we we sold out a batch one pretty quick it, it helped because we we auctioned off our bottle number one of our founders reserve which went for four thousand eight hundred dollars and so we, oh, wow. uh, yes so um that kind of drew a frenzy um for the founders reserve which whiskey which ended up batch one sold out in a couple of hours online that night in fact i think we sold about 600 bottles um all up in the first night um online just our email list that's been sort of following us you know this we haven't really we hadn't really sort of been heavily promoted or anything, but we've just been sort of, you know, gaining a bit of momentum over five years through people finding out about us and following us on our email list. Maybe they're coming to visit us at Invisiono. Um And so, yeah, we, we, we launched and it went really well. We sold out a batch one and then we launched batch two and that's winding down now too. So we're 
we will, um, yeah, we're, we're currently making the craft distillers filling up next three, so that's going to be fun. Cool. We're just we're just on your website about to buy a couple of bottles. <laughs> Quick, <laughs> I, I yeah, like yeah. how you unmuted yourself to tell us that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so tell us tell us about your branding. Um, it's very very clean. It's very it speaks of maritime. So where did that come from? Yeah, um, well, when we first started this whole business and venture and, and challenge and mission, you know, what it's like in running a distillery, it's, um, it's, it's you know, we, we, um, we just wanted to, like our number one sort of mandate was just to do everything really genuine and authentic. So we just sort of went like, let's not try to, you know, be too marketing-y. Like we just wanted to go, if we have a great, genuine story where we genuinely love the product we make a really solid maritime product then we won't have to spin marketing we'll just snap pictures and that's pretty much what we do here we go out and we take some pictures and we put it on social media and that's our marketing you know it's it's a simple recipe and it's because we've got a nice genuine story there and so we just it, and clean and kept it minimalistic and kept the genuine story. So on our bottle, our new bottle, we just, you know, keep this keep the story real. Like we've got a little imprint of the crested tern, which is a, a bird that sits on the island next to us here. Um in a, you, you know in a thousand <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, amongst the penguins. <laughs> they literally do sit amongst the penguins. Yeah. yeah, and amongst the steels and dolphins and there's a thousand whales out there. Can I, can, I give, can I give you an idea? You got to have a bottle, right? You got to you got to have this the canister there, right? And you've got to have a penguin on the side poking its head and <laughs> just looking. At it. <laughs> it's it's That's <laughs> photo bomb with a penguin. That is that is such the a dad jokes are out. Are out. Yeah. Funny Hulton's comment. Turn it up, mate. After the <laughs> after the crested turn. Just, just so you guys know. John's going to be in your position on the 31st of August, so feel free to join us and give him shit back. I will. I'll be bringing up the head. Yeah. Although that man does make some excellent, excellent oh, he does. Yeah. So I'll be there with the Irish jokes. Not as good as the Irish can tell it, of course, but... <laughs> I reckon at the end of the year, we need to do a Christmas Aussie craft distiller shooting the shit. And have like Christmas special. Christmas special and just have 20 of us on at once and just oh, fucking hang that, shit on each other. <laughs> I don't know how many we can do at once. I'll have to figure that out. Yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. It would just be a I've story. had 12 on the go, so we can get to at least 12. 12. Yeah. When did you do that? We didn't know about it. We weren't no, that was, that was BMWC. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, we can Blue, do it. The Blue Mountains Whiskey Club. Yeah, yeah, Christmas. Yeah. So, anyway, back to our special guests. Yeah, we, don't, yes. we don't get involved. Yeah, sorry. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So I, I, don't, I don't know whether we've got any more questions that have come. What are we at? Time-wise. Uh, so, so, one question that's come up I don't think we've asked yet, and since you've been going for five years, I sort of vaguely – get an idea of maybe where we're going with this question, but um, what's your oldest barrel to date in the store? Yeah, we started a saloon four years ago down here, so it'd be about that. Four years old. Yeah. Mm. yeah. We've, got, we've got a range of different casks. We're not using 
uh, anything under about 60 litres and um, most of them are, uh, yeah, in the hundreds. Um, we've got yep. a bunch of 200s down, some 300s sort of size. So, uh, yeah, looking for some proper age in those, of, of course. Um, but, yeah. yeah, generally with our barrel format, like our, our sizing, we're, we're going after fairly long maturation and we find this climate here with, with a fairly stable maturation. You know, as as much as you know, the humidity plays a part, and and some of these rises and falls in um, pressure. We also find being next to the ocean, you don't get huge temperature fluctuations, so you yeah. don't get never you never see a frost. Even when I leave home, sometimes, which is yeah. inland, just slightly, um, or driving along the coast, you you you'll see frost along the road. But when you're down on the ocean front, you you don't see that because the ocean. Temperature of the seawater is buffering the temperature, and so you don't get those cold um, temperatures, and you don't get the hot ones either. Yeah. Everyone knows when you've been on the beach, uh, it's generally colder than it is if you're just inland slightly on a hot day. And so, because of those more that more stable climate, we we're able to mature for longer. And so, you know, in a fifty or sixty liter barrel, we're maturing that in minimum time of like three and a half years, whereas you know many environments you might pull that out after only two two and a half years so uh you know hundreds certainly wouldn't be um considered before five years but it's probably more like five and a half um and you know well 200s we haven't obviously seen yet uh, but they're they're long-term barrels no doubt so due to that that extra long maturation that you're having to work with there you didn't uh, consider going into more smaller barrels to sort of speed that up and, and get to market quicker? That was a bit of a quality question, you know. Um, smaller barrels are tempting, um, of course, because you can get the risk out there, but there also is generally a, uh, a question over quality because you don't get the consistency um, and there's nothing like spirit that's maturing for longer um, chemically mm. itself and so... Um, to allow it to sit in barrel for longer um, and, and mellow out um, was something that Rob was certainly a big believer in um, and didn't want to do too much of that sort of small cask maturation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah my personal belief on, on 20s is they're salt and pepper. They're great in blends to salt and pepper something, get a certain nuance to it but on their own they're they're beasts they can be good they can be bad yeah they're they're, they're too much hard work i'm going to ask a question about peeling back the what's going on in tasmania right now so you've got what 60 whiskey distilleries in tasmania is that right have i got the count right it's hard to know. I think there's 80 distilleries. I don't know how many would do whiskey and then sort of commercially. I'd go with, I'd guess that it was closer to 40 or 50 that were sort of into whiskey and, you know, so, half of so them. So say 50 and there is the, there's the, the, the statesman uh, distilleries of, of Tasmania and you mentioned Overeem, Lark uh, and others, right? And the new guys on the block. The new, not you, but I mean, just in general, the new guys that are coming on the scene. So, what what is the Tasmanian whiskey community like? Is it is it still very very open and supportive of each other, or are you starting to see the elbows start to come out a bit as there's more and more people coming on the scene? 
Fisticuffs. Yeah. No, no. Um, I think it's actually Fisticuffs. quite. He said it. He said it. Fisticuffs. Yeah. It's <laughs> all about. Edit this. It's all we're doing. Yeah. It's just yeah. No, no. It's actually very collaborative um, still, and you know, it's always been great for that. Um, we've heard you know countless times, but I I can testify to to you know being a part of the TWSA. I'm personally. Part of um, one of the the sort of sub board subcommittees of, of that, and yeah, it's it's really cool to be you know chatting with five other distilleries in a, in a subcommittee of the TWSA, and and also turning up to different um, whiskey events and getting along, and um, because I think that it's it remains true, and I think within the Australian industry as well. In fact, I think it's probably truer than ever, ever in a way that we need to collaborate and be friends because. The next, I think the, for 20 or 30 years, we've been building an industry, but it's actually, for me, the next five years, 10 years especially, is where we really put the, uh, it's really where we test out this industry in, on an international level. And yeah, we really yeah. need to join together um, to, to make sure we do it, to do that justice. We need to make sure that our brand, a, a Tasmanian brand from Tasmania's perspective, but also the Australian brand, is seen globally in a good light. And I think that, um, you know, it, if you look at it that way, it's certainly like we've got to, you know, still the old rising tide floats all boats. Um, yes, there's going to be a few um, hardships along the way as domestically it'll become more competitive as more distilleries pop up. But um, we're also building the amount of penetration that the Australian industry can do within Australia. Yeah. So I think there's, I think there's still room, but um, certainly on an international level, um, let's band together and um, and you know represent because um, we've got something pretty special to show the world. Um, the world doesn't know it yet, uh, and it's going to be interesting. I I like to say. Now, a rising tide floats all boats, which is the classic Bill Lark thing, but there's a few battleships in the harbour. And we just had HMS single malt in the harbour and there's been agreement reached on that and that that is now, that ship is firmly docked. Wouldn't they be, wouldn't they be more likely to be icebergs? Uh, <laughs> I like battleships because there, there's some battleships. There's definitely some battleships. Um, okay, so here's a, a question for you. The um, excise um, 350 cap uh, rebate, which is not actually a rebate, but you know what I mean. Um, Double-edged sword for the industry, as in it's great for the small guys and getting a leg up and, and – you know, like, like for ourselves, it's enabled us to employ a few people to do markets and push out more, and it's fantastic. But the double-edged sword is the excise was a, a barrier to entry that's been lowered, and now there's people coming into the industry and going, hey, I can make some good money here, not realising that this industry is fucking hard. What's your take mm. on it? Uh, I wouldn't have... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that that was like, oh, you know, let's jump in. That that was that was a, an easy like, you know, I didn't think that really lowered the barrier to entry by a long way um, because whiskey. I mean, other spirits are different, but whiskey is certainly an expensive 
barrier to start with. The gut. Well, I, I wasn't really thinking about excise rebate and or whatever that sort of meant. I, I just knew it was it was going to be bloody expensive kind of industry to start with. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't have thought about it that way myself. Um, you know, his excise continues to to rise on the other side of the coin. So it's sort of it feels a bit like the excise rebate is all grand, but uh, excise sort of continues to rise. So that the the, uh, the benefit sort of gap seems to close. <laughs> to erodes. Yeah. So the excise yeah. goes up, uh, interest rates go up, CPI and the CPI, CPI adjustment. We're going to hit a hundred dollars allow in the next uh, increase on, on uh, excise. Hundred dollars mm. allow with a third. The third highest taxed nation on the planet for for excise, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, I actually posted it on the ADA Facebook page. It was Will Edwards from um, yes, uh, Will Edwards from Archie Rose, and he very eloquently explained what the impact was and how he said, and I cannot remember the exact numbers, but it was in cents. If you a thirty mil, uh, sorry, a standard drink of wine, it's like thirty cents. A thirty uh, standard drink of, of uh, spirits is like a dollar something, um, yeah. which is yeah, it's something to be. Be nice of everyone if we're on, if we're all on a equal playing field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My last question of the night, because we're coming to the end, is Australia is on the verge of being a powerhouse on the world stage. And, and you mentioned it, Tim. You know, people don't know, but the, the quality of whiskey that's coming out of Australia, the diversity of flavour is phenomenal. So, I'd go as far as the, the quality of spirit coming out of Australia. Quality of spirit, yeah. Well, good example. Karoo Distillery, good friends of ours. They won world's best... Um, uh, what was it? Contemporary um, gin, and they backed it up with world's best um, infused vodka. Uh, yep. Husband and wife team in, in, in New South Wales. We also have world best whis um, rums kicking around Australia now. Yeah, exactly. So Australian spirits are punching well above their their, their weight, right? So what happens when the world goes, yeah? We all want Australian. Are we at a stage where we can back it up? <laughs> yeah, good question. Because I think that there's some super great quality whisk, uh, spirits coming out of Australia. But uh, there, there are, um, I guess, going forward, what we're going to see is um, some of the bigger volumes are going to be the representations out there. And that's where, you know, you might raise the eyebrows a little and question whether the representation is going to be what you're talking about. Is it going to be the high quality that you're talking about? Because a lot of the high quality comes out of these craft industry where you're creating these really unique, beautiful, say, whiskies, you know, in, in what we're talking about here tonight. Yeah. Uh, you know, created out of um, a very, uh, you know, labor of love and um you know where quality is at the forefront but when you have to go more commercial to create a whiskey that's more accepted globally because of price point especially yep. sacrifices have to be made and so um 
it's a bit of a double-edged sword there, I guess, and it's a bit of a question around, um, yeah, what what we can, how we're going to achieve that quality that we want um, as an industry on a world stage yeah. um, when, you know, Craftworks hasn't got the volume to hardly export, let alone sort of, yeah. Hang on, let me add to that, uh, Tim, because I, I this is something I feel very, very passionate about. The likes of uh, Starwood and what Starwood did with Twofold, mm. I mm. think is absolutely game changer on the international scene. And the reason why is because it's created a, a, a landing strip where people are going hey, I might step away from my Jim Beam and I'll try this uh, Australian twofold and, hey, it's not bad. And what else is out there? If I spend more money, what else is out there? So I see it as a, as a landing strip for pulling people into Australian whiskies and exploring. And maybe they pick up a bottle of Craftworks or, or Warbs Harbour or, or, or Ferno or whatever. So the, the big guys and what they're doing is really important for the little guys like us. I, I firmly believe that. And I know there's distillers that go, yeah, but they're lowering the price and no, it's not good for all of us, et cetera, et cetera. I seriously think it's the landing strip. It's getting the message out there to a broader audience and getting people to step away from their Jack Daniels and their Jim Beam and their Johnny Walker and try something different. Yeah, no, great point. And it's a religion... A really sort of generic uh, example of that is the classic Japanese in industry, right? Like um, set the pay, they've, they've paved their way, but there wouldn't be small Japanese whiskies that are uh, struggling out there to try to export, right? Mm. That'd be that'd be just that'd be taken, and um, yeah, it's a That's good a example. Good. The small players can ride the coattails of the bigger guys that have been there, done that, set the marketing budgets high, and then the smaller guys can can kind of come in there and often maybe even with a high quality product. Well, there's a good comment. Never mind twofold. My American friends are drinking single cast, cast drink bottles of Starwood in the US. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, we'll have to uh, keep that question for a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, we got um, yeah, we got David Vitelli from Starwood straight from the US. It's going to be a Saturday session coming up, which is awesome. Um, we might start to wind it up what, we'll, are, what we'll, are we at what are we at we're, we're almost at the hour and a half so let's let's go through the sponsors yep um, let's do that. we do have one last comment come through here from 60 hertz start with pushing into the us with barrel picks in the last couple of years in a big way cool mm. we'll cover that off it in does, a couple of weeks it does help that dave is over there able to uh wave the flag yeah but he yep. says it's a hard slog it's a hard slog bet it is yeah and we'll talk to him about it indeed uh, all right, so let's the trailblazer. go to our sponsors. We've already spoken about a couple of – actually, I think we've mentioned – Do we sponsor ourselves? Well, no. yeah. Is that in our budget? We haven't talked about it. Well, the amount of fucking effort I put in. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Right. So – On the left. We have already spoken about a couple of them. Uh, Youngie, who was on earlier – uh, uh, Wayne Oak Cooperage, uh, 
Does he have capacity? No. Who knows? That's the red icon on the bottom left-hand corner, people, in case you're wondering. I really, I'm going to have to change his logo to actually put Wayne Oak well, we can, on it. We can just talk to it. I'll just do it. All right, next. Uh, we've already spoken about uh, Mogwai Labs. Mogwai Labs. Uh, who also we will have on at some point once I give uh, Todd the details to line that Please up. Witchcraft Malt. Without Sometime in August, I expect. Sorry, what? Sometime in August, I expect. Yeah, cool. We'll sort that out after this. That Voyager. Will, that will be a yeasty deep dive. If there was no Voyager, there'd be no Craftworks. I'm just saying. No. Absolutely. Big statement. Big statement. But true. But, but true. true. But true. Uh, if you need glass, get it from Save a Glass. Save a Glass. If there's no Save a Glass, my liquid would be on the floor. That's right. <laughs> Even more so than it is already. <laughs> <laughs> And if you like gin, jump onto the Australian Gin Appreciation Society on Facebook. Uh, and as we talked earlier, tomorrow is what? Gin day. Oh, it's gin day tomorrow. Oh, gin day. Perfect. I'm, not, I'm not sure about Agas. It's just not a, it doesn't roll off the tongue. You're going to have to talk, talk, talk to Ben about it. Talk that. to Ben about it. I've yeah, got yeah. a guess. Yeah. Anyway. I think he literally whipped up the logo whilst. We were at the show. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> While we were working at the Sydney show, he's, I, I, I said to him, oh, so you're sponsoring us? And he's like, oh, yeah. Fuck, I haven't got a logo. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't even got a logo on the Facebook page. I better, <laughs> I better do that. And he did. Uh, he did. I, I, I said to him that um, I was sort of picturing it like a country women's association type thing. Yeah. And he didn't do that. No. Um, no. But I, I like what he did. <laughs> Just don't like Agas. <laughs> you know, don't we, we, do, we do like the fact never that never bad mouth the sponsors. I don't, know. Don't. It's the best thing. <laughs> we we do like the fact that we, we used to we used to have um, Dave and Pam from Transwood as a sponsor last year, and the tagline was "Don't call us, we'll call you," because we got no capacity <laughs> to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, a may that, you may notice yeah. that they're no longer sponsors of ours. No longer sponsors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Not, they don't need to work. Busy enough. They don't have any capacity. Not because yeah. we're just shit. No, no, it's there's no capacity. Anyway, you we'll see when we go down, Desi. You were too good as a, as a client. They were you were referring too much work to them. They had to get oh, rid of them. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That was it. That, that was it. It was all ours. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's let's say that. Um, oh no! Wrong one. Forget wrong that one. one. Sorry. I haven't got my glasses repaired. They are getting oh, repaired, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So everyone, let me let me say something. Seriously? Yeah. Here's a here's okay. a real one. All right. So if it wasn't for this man, there would be no craft works. As I said, if there was no Voyager craft malts, there'd be no craft works. This man is the most inspirational man. And it's the reason Craftworks exists. In fact, I when he worked at Brook Laddie, uh, that was my first distillery that got me on my journey back in early 2000. I have a Brook Laddie shrine in my shed. So I was it's actually a little bit creepy. It is creepy. It's very it creepy. It is a bit creepy. I was given the opportunity by the author of the biography to sell this book. And I was absolutely honored. And I went, yes, on the spot. So we have imported this book and we have sold distribution rights in Australia and New Zealand. For any budding distiller, for any seasoned distiller, 
Tim and Rob. Um, we highly recommend this book. We got a, we got a few. We got a few. We got, got yeah. two hundred and fifty on a pallet coming end of July. By the way, regardless of regardless of all that, it is a really really good book. It's an no, easy read. It is very informative. Very and if you know Jim McEwen, if you don't, it, this is the story of his life. Pictures. It's a heavy duty book. It's five hundred something pages. It's everything what happened in Brook Laddie, the rebirth it's of Brook Laddie. First book I've ever read. It's the first book I've ever read in a Scottish accent. And yet a little bit of wee came out? No, it's the first book I've ever read in a oh. Scottish accent. <laughs> I thought a little bit of wee came I, out. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Anyway. No, not the wee, but, but the, the Scottish accent. We're doing it under Aussie Craft Distillers. And why? Because, and this is the, we come to no, the. No, no. Yes, we do. No. It's the charity. No, we, no, no, we, no, no it's we, not a fucking charity. We, yeah. we, we are going to. Because you really appreciate buying the book. Trust me. You enjoy reading it. Oh, that's good. Turn it off. No. Buy the book. Jump on. Oh, did I unmute myself? You, yeah, I did. you did. I did. We want to go to the US next year. You can buy it from there. It is money. Four, um, four. How much? How much does it cost again? One hundred and forty. Uh, yeah, one hundred and forty. One hundred and forty dollars. Yeah, it's a worthwhile bargain. Bargain. It's worthwhile. Absolute bargain. All right, and the last thing we needed to mention: Ostra, big night. Uh, the, go. The website live. Oh yeah, Ostra went live. Yeah, Ostra, Ostra Distillers, who we had on in a couple of weeks no, ago. No, no, no banner up there Hold on. so ostra is the sleeping giant on the australian distillers scene but craft 100 very big but very very small but ostra distillery or distillers is now live and released their very first product so well we, you can you can buy the product you buy the product you won't get it yet it's in pre-order you talk about it so it is in pre-order. Uh, it's a it's a very nice website, if I do say so myself. Put the bottle up. Put uh, the bottle up. Put the bottle up. Now I can't. You, I can't. Pressure. It's going to take me too long to do. Well, we can talk. Jump on austradistillers.com. Uh, beautiful bottles. Uh, beautiful product. Starting from 90 bucks. Um, going all the way up to $625 for the inaugural release. Wow. But it'll be pretty damn good. Can, um, can you just take a photo and oh, click it across? Geez. Bear with us here. Oh, oh, anyway, while that's happening. Oh, fuck. What did I do? Oh, shit. Now you're bigger. We don't need yeah, you. No, don't do that. No, that's you, horrible. You fix that while I do this. Todd. Right. Anyway, while we're doing that, I'd like to thank Tim and Rob. Guys, that was awesome. Long-suffering guests. It was a deep dive. <laughs> it's a really good insight to what you guys are up to. And seriously, Aussie Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit is coming to Tassie maybe later in the year. I know I am, at least. Um, really want to catch up with you guys and uh, 
Yeah, I want to get into the lab and I want to taste some of those special things mm. that you're working on. That that's that's super cool, guys. That's that really is cool. Here is we would love to have you guys. There you go. Look, there's there's the bottle. How cool is that? Hold on, I need to fix the banner. Um, that's the Ostra bottle, <laughs> which is quite pretty. <laughs> and that's that's so that's wood around the outside of the bottle there. Wow. I don't know how they do that, but He's done it somehow. Uh, we did have a final question come through there. Yep. Uh, how do I go about getting a bottle of warbs? Easy. Jump on Easy. the website. Easy. com. Get on there. It is on the uh, it's on the screen at the moment. Uh, I'll put it in the uh, in the chat as well. So for those listening later on, you've got the link straight there. Uh, I think we're done. Oh, fuck, I'll do that. Uh, I'm trying to click around too much. And you're I'm not... from IT. You should handle this pressure. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, guys, thanks so much for having us. Don't go. Hang for a sec, guys. Hang, right, hang no, for we're a sec. We're, we're about to uh, wind it up. But, there we um, go. All right. So I've just put it in the chat. Uh, everybody, please jump on, buy a bottle, sell them out, and uh, everybody will be happy. It'll it'll make their time tonight worth it. <laughs> and we're on we're on next week with um... uh, next week is uh, me, uh, Louis, uh, Nico, mixed trade, Nico and um, and Nick Hope, Nick Hope. We will be talking to uh, Louis. Louis from? From Mescala uh, uh, Mextrade. Mextrade. So, it, so it, we're going to be talking about Mezcal and all things uh, Mexican. Imported. Very, very cool. Um, and he is the most passionate person that you've ever met. Excuse me. Excuse me. No, you were not. No. There. Oh, fuck, I'm out of here. No, you weren't there. Yeah, please do. He's <laughs> the most passionate person about Mezcal. He's, 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 and he's lovely. I haven't met him. I, and I might tune in next week. Oh, no, I might not. I'll be doing a yeah, I'm doing a Craftworks night. So, yeah, no, maybe not. Anyway, you, I will you, watch you. You won't be anywhere near the place. You can, you can jump on to... Uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube or Facebook to watch it after the fact. Hey, tell 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 the audience that we're go on. Tell the audience. Go on. You're gonna love this. Love this. Love we, this. Love this. We are in. Oh, <laughs> we are in the top sixty spirits podcasts in the world, according to according to a website that emailed me today. You got no idea yeah. who they are. So that means that that we're sixty. No, no, we're 31. We're 31. We're 31. We're not oh, wow. We're in the mid-pack. We don't apparently know who the we, fuck they are. Apparently we no talk idea. too much, and my wife has oh. just shut the door. So yeah, but I, lo I looked at all the podcasts, and I went, don't know it, don't know it, don't know it, don't know it, don't know it. <laughs> so we're in good company. We're in good company, yeah. yeah. Thank you yeah. all for joining us. Please jump on to warbsharbourwhiskey.com. Uh, jump on to shootingtheshit.com.au and buy a book. And please, 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 please buy a book. Please <laughs> fucking buy a book. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, so, we've got a pallet. We've got, got a hip, so we've got a house somewhere. Many fucking books. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, uh, you guys are classic. Loved it. I no, thanks for having us, guys. It was a great night. And, uh, yeah, so much fun shooting the shit with fellow distillers out there. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for, for watching online. And uh, I'll see you next Thursday. Hang around, guys, for a sec. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching. Yeah.